BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have a fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Paul Quinn. Morning, Paul. How's it going, man? Morning, Yas. Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this one. Paul, just before we get into the thick of it, maybe just a brief insight around who you are, what you're doing. We'll just we'll spin off from there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so yeah, my name is Paul Quinn. I'm based um, in Huddersfield, sunny Huddersfield uh, in Yorkshire. So my my background really is um, originally I was a teacher. Started off teaching um, 15, 15 years ago. Uh, got a, got a zest for coaching while I was playing semi pro football. Did my badges. Did my level one. Did my level two. Um, went out to America. Did a bit of work out there. Came back. Started off uh, running my mate Sunday League team back in the day, um, putting up nets and picking up dog poo and all that type of thing that comes with that. And then journey just progressed from there, really. I, my my semi-pro football stuff, I, I realised I wasn't going to make it where I wanted to get to in the game. So I threw my energy into coaching, did my B licence um, and then was fortunate enough to get offered a job at step five um, with Brighouse Town as, as player manager originally. Picked that up, um, really enjoyed that, did three, four or five years there, had some success, um, went on to manage at other clubs, uh, Shaw Lane and what involved at Osset and Tadcaster, and then got a full-time job at the FA, um, was afforded the chance to get on my A licence, uh, got on my A licence there and then got offered a, a full-time role at Sheffield United, so I've just recently left the professional development phase there, I was under-18s head coach there. Um, and just having a little bit of a, a breather now, a little bit of a sabbatical to see what see what comes next. But yeah, it's really gone from I suppose from grassroots to sort of the elite sort of youth development phase program, senior football working with ex pros. So it's been quite a quite an interesting journey, and yeah, um, something that you know hopefully long continues. Yeah, awesome, and I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that for you. And I you know, hopefully you do get something come up soon. But I want to kind of take you back to a couple of different things that you said there, and my mind's thinking about where to start. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to start. You know, you use the word there, zest for coaching. Uh, you almost make it sound quite exotic, which is which I love. <laughs> um, so, go on, what, what was it? What was it about coaching in particular that um, really caught your eye, or really thought actually, yeah, this this might be a bit for me? Obviously, you had the teaching background, and you know, how yeah. closely linked was it to that experience? And you know, where 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 did that come? From? Yeah, I think um, 
without being put, sort of coining a phrase, it, it was definitely within my blood to start with. So uh, just a brief history. So I was, I was brought up around football. My granddad was a former pro manager, so he was he was actually, he actually played for United in the late fifties, and then he went on to manage at Huddersfield and Bolton and other teams like that. So when I was sat around the dinner table as a kid, listening to some of his stories and listening to the phone ringing and him talking to some of his colleagues and talking to people who'd worked with in the pro game, it sort of started getting ingrained in me then. Um, and then my dad had a, a very successful career at, in the semi-pro game as a coach. He went on to do his A licence. So, you know, I'd be on the bus with him going to matches away and I'd sort of start started sort of, um, you know, by osmosis really, sort of learning about the game and learning about coaching. And then, yeah, just I loved working with players. I loved um, probably a little bit from a teaching as well. I think that definitely helped in my coaching journey. You know, you look at some of the, even some of the top coaches now, you know, you look at the England women's first team co- head coaches had a teaching background. Um, so I think that definitely helped. But yeah, just there's just been something inside me. It's probably from early on, maybe early 20s, where I knew that was a line I wanted to go down. And then, yeah, just, just pursued it and tried to get as many different experiences and work with different people as I could. But yeah, definitely a sort of a probably nature versus nurture. You know, I'd, I'd sort of brought in the environment and, you know, you're a product of your environment, aren't you? So bringing, being brought up around my granddad and my dad, I think that definitely had a massive influence on my own views on where I want to go with coaching and management. Let's just delve into that a little bit more. You obviously, you you brought up around football. For me, I was it, it wasn't like that at all. I played yeah. football, but, you know, yeah. I didn't come from a football family, if you like. So, you know, what were some of the things that you feel like you were exposed to in that in that kind of environment that maybe could have been taken for granted until you realise actually do you know what I picked this up from granddad or I picked this up from dad does that make yeah. sense yeah no absolutely yeah I think the biggest it's, it's weird all this but the one thing that always sticks in my mind from being a kid was my granddad had this massive bottle of Bell's whiskey huge bottle of Bell's whiskey so when you got a manager of the month in the in the 70s or 80s you didn't get a, a plaque like you did now you got a big bottle of Bell's whiskey and he was on a talk show and he'd been he'd been presented with it and he got a picture he's got a picture on his uh, hallway of this bottle of whiskey and then he started telling stories about like when they were at this game and when they'd done this and when they got to Wembley and, and sort of the richness of the stories he was telling and a lot of it actually wasn't about tactical stuff you know it wasn't about like technical detail it was actually about the memories of the game the memories of the connections he'd made the relationships he'd built and when you when you're hearing somebody speak with so much passion about the game and how the game's influenced the life and and changed you know completely changed the direction of the life and you know give them a lot as well financially and everything it's I think you just pick up on things like that. I probably got a little bit more tactical and technical stuff from my dad um, in terms of listening to the detail that he went into and and the, the way he viewed the game. But yeah, I think more than anything, the reason I'm telling you that story is that just the, the the memories that he had of the game and the connection he had and the relationship he had with the game. Purely the passion, you know. We I think we get caught up now a lot on technical and tactical details, but you look at some of the top top managers. You know, the man management's top of their agenda. So I'm a Huddersfield. Um, supporter uh, unfortunately unfortunately and you look at you know what Warnock's famous for and Warnock's famous for the man management is he famous for technical and tactical detail probably not as much as he is for for his man management side of it so that human relationship bit was something I probably just picked up on early you know the emotion of the game the passion of the game um rather than sort of technical and tactical stuff yeah no I, th- I, totally, I think you're spot on and I guess a question that's just come to my mind as you're speaking I think Yes, there's an, there's an element of that man management piece, and I think that bit is really important. There's a part of it that you'd say, you know, technical tactics is important. The question I've got in my head is, when, when, you, when do you think maybe players should start taking more responsibility for being able to make technical tactical decisions in their journey? Obviously, I think, especially when they get to the senior level, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, it, does a manager really need to provide you with that much technical tactical at that stage, or should you understand the game well enough to make those decisions, especially if the game is based on certain principles, right? If you know where I'm going, you know where, what what what, I'm, what I mean by that. Yeah, definitely. I think just casting my mind back to the days at Sheffield United, you know, got really good exposure with the first team. So my journey there, basically, I was appointed by Jack Lester, who's now the assistant manager. Jack gave me the opportunity at Sheffield, which which I'm eternally grateful for. Um, and I was fortunate enough when I got the 18s job to have a little bit of exposure with the first team. So we'd go up on a Friday and do match prep with the first team. Um, so you know, speak to Hecke and speak to to Jack and speak to Stuart McCall and listen to some of the stuff that was going on there and 
um, you know, at that point in their careers, the players have obviously got a base of technical and tactical understanding. But that journey, I don't think, ever stopped. You know, the the, the positioning of the first team at Sheffield United was very much around Jack worked with the forwards and still worked on technical things and still worked on, you know, little aspects of the game in terms of what, how it might apply to the shape. Or So I don't think that journey ever stopped. Yes, you've got to have a, you've got to have a good base, haven't you, by the time you get to, yeah. to senior level, um, particularly elite level. But I think that journey was constant. Uh, constant and you could see that the players bought into the fact that the coaches were invested in them and wanted them to improve as individuals whether it was a Billy Sharp that was 36 or whether it was Andre Brooks that was 19 that was just breaking into the first team <clears throat> there was a there was a you know a culture of progression and learning um, so I think yeah to answer your question I think the players do have to take ownership and responsibility but I think the coaches create that culture as well where there's a learning culture and, and that's important and I think it's refreshing as well to see that at first team level that that culture's still still happening. 100%. And I'm so glad you put it that way because I, it was more for me just to really, I guess, make the point that the learning never stops. And I think often coaches, you know, I've observed in my experiences where coaches would just expect players to know. And that's what, like, if the players that you've been working with and the players that have been playing at a senior level are still learning, yeah. how can we expect any, any less of that of maybe someone who's 13, 14, 15, 16? Do you know what I mean? It's just really to highlight, no, that, that we, we constantly need to support these players. You know, but I want to take you back to something else. As well, yeah, so there's, so much, there's so much jargon in the game as well, isn't there? So you, your description of, of, of something might be different to my description. And then you've got the player in the middle of it as well that might not have that understanding of actually what you're talking about. So, again, I cast my mind back when I was managing at senior level at step, step four. I was working with a group of players. Some of them had been in the AFL. Some of them had just come out of, you know, uh, academies. Some of them were progressing the way up in the non-league. And I remember saying to a player at half-time about getting in pockets in between the lines and picking up the ball in those spaces. And I could see I got a blank expression. And he went out second half and I could see there wasn't an understanding over what I'd really asked him to do in the heat and hustle and bustle of half-time. So, again, checking the learning, checking the understanding, checking that the players actually understand the terminology you're using. That terminology is aligned and consistent was a big eye-opener for me. You know, I was 28, 29 as a young coach there, and I thought, wow, you know, you, you really have to make sure that you've got clarity over your language and your messages because don't assume that players understand what you mean, whether they've played 500 league games or they've not played any. There's still, you know, the, the game can be confusing. What's what's the old saying? It's a simple game made complicated by people, isn't it? And there's no, no truer saying than that. Um, simplicity is king. And I think just having that alignment over your language and clarity over whether players understand you is the key bit. And, I, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think it's not just the clarity in communication in terms of how you articulate yourself, but like you said, clarity in confirmation in how they've understood it. Not just because yes. I think the challenge sometimes is the players might think they understand it. So they're going to tell you, yeah, I understand it. But actually, how, how far have you gone to actually check that, like you said there, that it's aligned and consistent in terms of what I'm saying is what you've understood yeah. rather than what you've understood is a version of what I've said. Yeah, yeah. And I, th and I think that bit is so key. So, you know, I want, I want to take you back to something else that you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, obviously your background was in teaching. You had, you know, we see quite often a lot of coaches, especially in today's generation uh, of up-and-coming coaches, a lot of them are coming from maybe what's aligned to a teaching background and um, definitely a more educational-based background. So to talk to me about what... what what are the different, you know, do you think it's, it's one and the same or two, two and the same in that coaching versus teaching is, you know, aligned or do you think they're two different things? Because I think this is a real, a real key thing for us to kind of explore in that coaches assume that they are sometimes having to be teachers, but actually sometimes coaching doesn't need to be that at all. No, I think, um, I think when I first started coaching, so like in my late teens, early 20s, I think they were quite polarised. I think coaching was one end of the spectrum and teaching was another. And there wasn't a great deal of alignment. You know, there'd be a lot of like instructional models and, you know, didactic coaching. And this is how you do it and technique driven. This is what you do. And this is the practice and closed practices. And I think it very much become more aligned now where, you know, we go out and as part of my business at Beyond the Physical, we go out and observe hundreds of coaches across the countries at different levels um, as part of some of our qualifications. And, what we'd expect to see now from a high quality coaching session, we'd expect to see from a high quality teaching session in, a, in, a, in an education environment. So your things around questioning, your things around your styles of learning, around um, assessment, you know, around progression, around level of challenge, all those things now that make enrich a session for a young person, um, you know, 
high ball rolling times come out, you know, over the last 10, 15 years in terms of that. Again, that's maximum activity time in, in a PE setting. That's that's the correlation between those two. So I think all the strategies now we'd expect a, a high quality teacher to have, we'd be expecting a high quality coach to have as well. So your drive-bys when you're going past groups of players and questioning and checking learning, checking understanding. I think there's a lot of correlation now. So yeah, in answer to your question, I think they've come a lot closer together, which is which is really good because I think coaching's become, you know, far more enriched, far more personalised. You know, coaches have got their own approaches and their own ways of going about things. And, um, you know, that constant learning as well is important. We've talked about it for the players, but as for coaches, you know, every time I watch a session, um, I'll pinch something off a coach, even if it's just the way they speak to somebody. You know, it might be something they've done in an activity to progress it the way they've set up a session, every single coach I've watched, no matter what level, is always a learning opportunity. And that, that's the beauty of the game. It's it's continuously evolving. Um, and you can't stand still. It's the old adage again. You cannot stand still in this game. Um, you've got to be constantly progressing and learning. And the best coaches, I think, are doing that all the time. You know, you look at like the upcoming trends now with Brighton. Loads of people looking at Brighton now, the way they play, the style they play, the connection of the front two, how they build, how they build the play. You know, Mickey Collins at uh, Sheffield United did like a really good piece around Brighton and became really sort of uh, analytical about the, how they were going about things. So again, there's a top coach that's worked in the AFL, that's got a 21s job now that will go back into the AFL, no shadow of a doubt. But he's constantly challenging and pushing himself and learning off both his own environment, but off, off the environment outside as well. Um, so yeah, long-winded, long-winded answer for you there. No, no, I, th- I think you're spot on and it kind of takes my mind to a couple of different places in that you know, you talk about progressive, talking about learning, talk about development in terms of just challenging yourself to kind of grow as a coach even. My question would be, what do you think has remained consistent though? You know, in your journey and just generally, you know, for your experiences, what do you think something as, regardless of what development, what learning and what knowledge you've picked up along the way, what do you think has remained consistent from day one to now? Even if you weren't necessarily implementing it in day one, but the recognition and the importance of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, great question. I think um, probably... You know, I've always been sort of at the core of my coach. So if we boil it down to the coaching practice, like practice design and what a practice looks like, I've always been passionate around driving intensity and the players working at a match intensity. So, you know, rather train for 60 minutes at a match relevant intensity than train for 90 minutes, 100 minutes at a, you know, substandard or up and down um, intensity. That's not to say that low intensity practice haven't got the position in terms of like ILP development and those types of things they have, but within a team element, um, you know, having energy and driving a session and trying to drive that intensity is something I've always done. Now, your biggest strength is sometimes your biggest weakness. And remember when I was doing my A licence, you know, sometimes you're trying to drive a practice through coach behaviour, um, but that can sometimes be at the detriment of what you're trying to do. So worked closer with Mick Matthews, who's now gone on to um, be head of coaching at uh, Manchester United. And he made a great point when I was just doing a simple rondo and you're driving the intensity of the practice. So you're counting the passes, one, two, three, four, and you're really trying to get the players to move the ball quickly. But actually then that sometimes takes away from what they need to do in possession. So you think about Brighton. Brighton, their build is a lot about staying on the ball in terms of drawing pressure so that they can find an extra man. So within a rondo practice, if you're driving that intensity of counting the passes, Mm. players don't stay on the ball because it's like a hot potato. They want it to move it quickly. Whereas actually... Sometimes it's better just to put your foot on the ball, draw the person out so that you can play around them. So your biggest strength is sometimes your biggest weakness, what you're going after and does intensity match what you need to get out of the practice. And yeah, constantly just checking and challenging your own behaviour. And I hate doing it, but watching yourself back is really important as well. You know, like listening to yourself back. I hate listening to my own voice. I'm sure lots of people will resonate with that. But listening to the way you interact, listening to the language, the clarity of it is really, really important. So again, from a chef, you perspective every session's videoed you know a lot of them are uh, audio recorded as well so you have that affordability to be able to do that and embed yourself in that process but the other thing answer is i think we're in an era now where a lot of these things that were accessible just for pro clubs now are accessible for far more wide range of coach sites so your videos your mics your, your iphones yeah. your, you know 15 years ago video in a session 20 years ago for a grassroots coach for a semi-pro coach would have been nigh on not impossible but difficult now i think we've got such an access to all these different bits of technology and platforms so it's almost no excuse now is it in 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 a way no i think we've you know with phones ipads you know you look at like 
the, mm. the technology we've got now, session builders and those types of things. Someone in, someone in the environment is going to have access to something. 100%. So I, th I, think, I think you're spot on because I think, you know, I guess my, my question just kind of probing on what you just said there is, having been in situations where you have been able to record and reflect and do your own kind of self self analysis on your coaching, what, what's one of the biggest challenges in, uh, that you face with that? Um, obviously you, you alluded to it, it's like they're just maybe getting comfortable just watching yourself back. Yeah. Um, but what's, what, what's been one of the biggest challenges for you there? And what's been one of the biggest learnings in that process for you? I think not, I think we live in a society where things are either good or bad out there. It's either yes yeah. or no, you're either on that side of the fence or you're on that side of the fence. And again, You've got to watch your own coaching and and even from an experience that you might be perceiving as something that didn't go right in a session, there's learnings to be had from it. And there's also probably things that happen within that element that were positive. And it isn't, it, it, you know, it, without being cheesy, it is a journey that we're all on and things happen, things, you know, things don't go right in sessions. Things go really right, but actually, you know, it might only just be a one-off incident. So I think just having that open mind to, to not just, looking at that session in its micro element, you know, I'm not just looking at 20 minutes of a, a session there. I'm looking at the big picture, like where does this sit in the next six weeks and what are we working on as a group? What am I working on as a coach? What's my focus? And not being knee jerk, you know, I'm not going to focus on this for this session and then throw that out of the baby out with the bathwater on the next session and, and focus on something else. So, you know, a little bit of like mastery over your own learning as well. So if you, you know, your focus is on session design or player engagement or, specific element of a position you know i'm working i want to want to improve my technical and tactical knowledge over you know a fullback position then stick with that for a few weeks and 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 develop that and master that and you know try not to be sporadic with it where we're jumping around and trying to fit almost like becoming troubleshooters you know it's like after a game how reactive are we after a game as a coach or oh, that needs fixing this needs fixing yeah there's an element of that but there's also an element of what you're going to stick true to as a coach and so from your own reflections i think you know Focus on one thing, focus on a couple of things, improve those things, become a master at it, and then and then maybe move on to the next thing rather than being reactive to what's happening all the time. So just kind of you talk there about, you know, developing mastery in your coaching and that, that can look very different for every single one of us because of, you know, maybe the areas that we, you know, we're a bit more passionate about or we kind of delve into. So, you, know, you, you mentioned there about you having a keen interest around the, the, the idea of practice design, the element of practice design. Um, like myself but what are some of the additional ways in which you kind of go about developing these things because obviously a lot of people um just to give some more context you know i work pretty much as a coach developer and a coach mentor um and one of the the common things i observe is the challenge for some coaches because they don't actually know um well no one knows you know none of us know what we don't know but some of these coaches yeah. never get challenged yeah to think differently or get challenged to look at the situation they're in and actually identify well what are the cha what problems am i facing rather yeah. than rather than looking at the problems that they're facing or they're just looking at the successes they, that they're, they're achieving and you know and I often challenge coaches well actually can you try and look at everything that you're doing and find a problem with it yeah, yeah if yeah. you can do that then you're going to be close to finding solutions to deal with those problems but if you can't find any problems then great <laughs> but don't yeah. let the, don't let don't let that be because you're not focusing on trying to find them and yeah. you're avoiding them if that makes sense so you know what, yeah. what are some of the ways in which you think coaches can maybe start to build their knowledge build their experience and uh, and i'm sure that you'll, you'll probably lead into talking a bit about mentoring and key in, in a, and getting a key experienced individuals around you as well yeah 100 percent. i think We've all got blind spots, haven't we? We've all got things that we, you know, personal bias that we're looking at our sessions through and looking at our practice through. And I think, you know, videos and watching it back yourself is important, but you're only being able to reflect from your own starting point and your own learning and your own knowledge. Like you just said there, you only know what you know and nobody knows everything. Um, we've all got things we need to progress and learn with, uh, learn about. And I think um, having that second pair of eyes on on things is important. Like somebody, somebody you trust, somebody that's got good credentials, somebody that can add value to what you're doing, um, whether that's, you know, somebody on a on a day-to-day -day basis in your club environment that you work with on a regular basis that can just be that sounding board or just stand back from a session. That's the that's one of the biggest things for me. So one of my, let's go back to one of, what I feel one of my strengths is, is being in the session and driving the session and driving the energy of the session. But again, the negative of that is sometimes you get caught up in the session and you haven't got that time. So what I've started doing definitely over the last two or three years is, is stepping back from the session and you know giving myself that time to look at it look at the session how's it working am i getting out what i need to get out of it and giving yourself that reflection time even within a session just to 
step back and 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 look at how things are running. Um, but I think mentors are, mentors are massively important, whether that's through like yourself through coach development, whether that's more informally through somebody you know, whether that's going out and reaching out to other clubs and other environments or even other sports. I think that's massively important. So that's something I've taken from my teaching is you know I had the I was fortunate enough to be able to deliver across a range of different sports at a range of different levels. Um, you know, so I took a lot from basketball, for example, did my basketball level one, coached a lot of basketball. I took a lot from that into the into the game, into football, not the game, into football. Um, a lot of transferable things, you know, coached rugby, coached um, loads of different sports, individual sports, cricket, tennis, did, did loads of different things and you take things mm-hmm. from those and yeah, so I suppose mentorship. Just on that, Paul, really quickly, what were some of the key things you took away? Because, you know, similar to you, I mean, I didn't come from necessarily a teaching background, but I, I did um, I did pick up different qualifications and have different experience in coaching different sports early on, none anywhere near as much as I did football. But um, what I always found interesting is when I was going on these different uh, courses and qualifications from different governing bodies, how everyone just had a different approach to how they wanted to do things, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think there is definitely some things that we can learn, like, you know, from like basketball, where it is uh, a lot smaller in terms of numbers you're working with. So, you know, that, that naturally brings a different dynamic, or whether it is maybe an individual sport that you're kind of coaching. So, uh, you know, I've, I've had experience doing boxing coaching and, and, and yeah, things yeah. like that. And yeah. it, it just puts you into a completely different frame of mind around how to work with that individual and what to maybe look out for. So, you know, how, how has that influenced you in that way? Yeah, I think just first bit on the individual bit, I think we've obviously moved a long way towards, away from team to individual, particularly at youth development phase and, you know, professional development phase. The the, the model at Sheffield United was very much around driving around the individual. Um, so, yeah, you take a lot from those individual sports that you can, you can look at in terms of, again, relationships, um, you know, your technical stuff. But I think from... From other sports, I think just little things you pick up. Again, it's, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? So basketball. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill picked up like little things around screens like how to so like at a corner when you screen off at a corner you think about basketball how many times they screen off when they're building up play you know just little things like that like how they cut to the basket the, the types of movement they use and the timing of the movement the connections as uh within within the team as well and the roles that players play you know as a point guard bringing the ball up who does that in the game what does it look like in football um, you know the intensity of the game as well. You know, so such fast pace. You, you often hear it, don't you, when the game's opening football, it's turned into a game of basketball. So again, how do you control that um, that sort of fluidity of a game in football so it doesn't become like a game of basketball? So yeah, I just think like that definitely helped me. And going on, like I remember the the guy that did the basketball level one when I did that, and he was from um, I can't remember exactly where he was from, but he's from an Eastern Bloc country and. You know the way he went about things I took took loads from him. He was six foot eight. You know the way he went about his coaching and the presence he had, and you just pick little nuggets up all the time, don't you? So you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's just constantly an evolving piece, isn't it? No, I think it's really it's really interesting that you just mentioned that because I think one of the key things that has always kind of stood out for me is um, how we can learn from different people's experiences, but more specifically from different cultures and as well, because obviously there's completely not only just the different governing bodies and the way that they want to operate, but actually how different cultures and different nationalities operate and how they view the, view the sport and, and what coaching could look like. Yeah. But I, want, I, want, I want to take you back, it's been a little while, but I want to take you right back to something you said near the top of this. Um, you jumped into grassroots coaching, semi-pro environments and, and whatnot, and part of that um, was picking up the poo, <laughs> right? And, I, and, and I, I, I re- the reason I'm coming back to that is because more and more now I'm coming across coaches who maybe haven't had to do that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I think, I'll just go back to my own experience. I, I said, well, all of that stuff there, that's part of your grounding as a coach. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I, I, I've just come out of a, what is now Premiership Club, Premier League Club, and the way that you got... Tret there as a member of staff and as a player, 
you know, you've got everything. You've got everything. You've got your breakfast. You've got your lunch. You've got your kit. You've got your, you know, everything's done for you. Um, we've got, you know, I had a video analysis. I had goalkeeper coach and assistant. I had, you know, I had sports scientists. You know, the way you tra- the way that the games evolved and the way that the games now, you know, really holistic and the resources that the games got. When you've come from somewhere where you haven't had that and you've had to do everything, you know, I had to take the kit to the dry cleaners, I had to put the nets up, I had to collect the soap, you know, all those things that you do when you're in that grassroots environment grounds you and you compl- you always go back to that. So, like, when I hear people moaning and groaning about certain things at a club and, um, you know, you think flipping it, like, but, but you've, you know, I've, I've said it before, you You've always got to be grateful for what you've got. I think that's important, but you've always got to be looking to progress. And there's nothing wrong with, like you said there, identifying where your where your gaps are as an organisation. So this is where we want to take things, and this is how we want to progress things. But still being grateful for for the for what you've got. But yeah, I think it is a great grounding experience, and um, you know, to come from that sort of level and progress my coaching and get all the experiences I've had. You know, has been a been a brilliant journey. Um, you know, to if somebody had said to me. 10 years ago that I'd have an opportunity to work at a championship club that had been, you know, been able to go out and watch Andalek train and do my A licence and things like that. And, you know, when I was at the FA, get exposure, I've seen how, how the national teams run. You know, it's it's incredible experience that helps mould you as a person and helps mould you as a coach and a, and a manager. So, yeah, it all it all just adds. And every, everybody's got a different journey. You know, some lads have had 500 league games and gone and started their coaching process. Some people have no league experience. Some people have gone straight into academies and then come out and gone back in again. And, you know, every every journey is different. Every journey is unique. And there's, I don't think there's any right way of progressing. It's just about constantly trying to evolve yourself, push yourself, get those new experiences. And that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? At the top of the game, you know, you go through the list of Premier League managers now, they've all had a different journey, haven't they? Whether they've had a pro background, not a pro background, you know, whether they come from teaching, grassroots, whatever they've come through, they're all very different. And that's the beauty of the game, isn't it? 100%. So let's just, let's just build on that a little bit. We talked about your experiences at the FA and getting, getting the opportunity to see the national team. What, what, what exactly was your role there and what did that look like to start with? Yeah, so, so my, my role there was within like the physical education education team. So I worked within the education department and our role was working with um, football clubs and universities across the country basically to upskill their staff when they're delivering in an education setting. <clears throat> Off the back of that, then obviously you get opportunities when you're down at St George's Park. You're at conferences. You're around the national team coaches. You're able to, you know. So, so our our base was we were remote base, but we were obviously down at St George's quite a lot. So then you get, you know, you get access to things that you wouldn't be able to get access to otherwise. So, yeah, it helped me as a coach developer, as a teacher developer, but also, you know, from the football side as well. From a selfish point of view, got on the A license. Um, was able to yeah access them you know watch the likes of Aaron Danks now who was at Middlesbrough I believe you know he was the 21 or he was position specific coach at the FA at the time you know being able to you know go to Southgate attending conferences and speaking to the likes of those types of people um you know watching the, the women's program develop and the, the girls game develop as well when we were there you know that's that's come such a such a huge amount of um distance and the people that have been involved in that have done a tremendous job as well um so just seeing the whole FA national game strategy sort of develop and living and breathing it again was a brilliant experience. And then just building on that, you know, what what were some of the biggest takeaways for you in that in in, in your time at the FA? Obviously, you do get exposure to different things, you do get uh, you know experiences to kind of be involved and pick up on the national team stuff. What were some of the th- things that you felt that you saw there that were well, actually, I never, you know, almost I've never considered that before. I won't say it's something I've never considered, but I think what what was at the core of certainly the team I worked in and probably from the wider FA team as well was this bit around reflection and not overlooking um, the sort of the priority and the the importance of, of reflecting on your own on your own learning, whether it's been on the week, whether it's been on the day, building that time into week where you can sit and reflect on what you've done, whether that's note taking, whether that's doing something on your phone uh, verbally voice note whatever it is but really prioritizing that power of reflection i think that's the biggest thing that i learned when i was there for the three and a half years what i was there for is just having that ability to press pause stop and pick up the learning because life's 100 miles an hour isn't it and we only really learn in my opinion and only really embed that learning and really really sort of 
use that as a base if we have time to reflect. If we don't have time to reflect, then I think a lot of learning gets lost. So, yeah, we've talked mm-hmm. about sessions, but, you know, week to week, uh, month to month, just having that time just to hit the pause, whether it's going for a walk or, you know, putting all caught up in our phones, I'm sure, putting your phone down, leaving your phone at home and just having that time just to be in your own head and work things out and think things through and really sort of allow things to grow and develop in your own mind as well. I think that's the biggest thing that I learned while I was there. Right from the national teams all the way down to the grassroots divisions is reflect on what you're doing. And, and that's the only way really you can drive improvement and really drive learning. So just, just on that, I think it's a really, really important topic to kind of think about in terms of reflection because, you know, often, often coaches say, you know, I do reflect, but it's often just on the way home in the car or it's immediately after the game or the event. What, what are some key things that you do? Obviously, you mentioned there about trying to maybe uh, remove any distractions, i.e. your phone and, and anything else. What, what are some key things that you might ask yourself in terms of that reflection process that you're kind of really delving into? And you know, how, how do you narrow down and um, really focus on a specific area that you want to kind of examine, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think from, from a game perspective, I think going back to your match objectives and what the objectives were. So if you're reflecting on a game, I would always then use those as an anchor. So no more than three objectives for the game, for the players that I'd share with the players, relevant to where we are on our journey, relevant to the players in front of us. But then reflecting back on those specific objectives and trying to avoid being, again, knee-jerk around what that game has presented. Yeah, that game's going to present unique challenges and unique things for you to reflect on. But if we don't go back to what we've asked the players to do and we've not worked on prior to that and we don't reflect back on that and then use that to inform the next steps, what, what's the point in doing the objectives? We may as well not bother. And sometimes you do see that in coaching where, and I've done it where it might just be, you know, a box ticking exercise where you're just doing an objective for the sake of it, but you're really coming back to it and reflecting on it. You're reflecting it with the players. And reflection doesn't have to sound like this fanciful thing. I personally think that your example there of reflecting in the car is is suitable for some people. I do that a lot. You know, I will get in the car, I'll turn the radio off, I know I can't check my phone, and I've got that time then just to think things through and reflect back on it. And I think it means something different. Some people are great at journaling. Some people are great at talking and discussing it and picking it there. And then some people want to do it red hot, like straight after the event. I need time. I can't do I, I don't like reflecting immediately because I think it's emotional driven. But for some people that works. So again, it's it's not being too formal around it. I think coach development's got a lot to learn from that. When you've got that reflection box and people feel like they have to fill that box with you're typing in terms of like a self-evaluation. I think that can sometimes become an arduous process for coaches. I think it's got to mean something individually. Um, but I think I agree with you. I think a framework's important of some description to be able to, yeah, use as a bit of an anchor. No, I think you're spot on. I think, you know, the, the reason why I asked the question in particular, because <clears throat> there will be coaches that have to do, or will feel like, oh, I haven't really got the time to do it. But I think, well, if, if you had a process, you probably would find it easy to find the time to do it yeah whereas if it's a bit sporadic like you said some people like journaling i'm not i'm you know if i take myself as an example i'm, I'm not a, i'm not a big journal fan but um i recognize the importance and i recognize the value that it can add by doing that piece uh, so sometimes it's like it's a bit of a process in itself by finding the right process for you for you right um sometimes i like just similar to yourself you know, if i reflect too soon too after the event i do find it is it is can somewhat emotionally driven um yeah. Whereas having that bit of time, it might be a hot reflection and a cold reflection, and a blend of both, and just to marry up whether your, you know, whether your thoughts are still consistent, yeah. and if there's any additional consideration which arise off the back of it. So I think it's more, yeah, you know, identifying what a process could look like, and what you know, once you've got a bit of clarity on the process, I think you'd make more effort to kind of find space and time to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I worked with a coach at, again at Sheffield United, um, goalkeeper coach called Chris Butt top coach uh, really young and up and coming coach um, got a fantastic um, sort of he's going to have a fantastic journey in the game and he basically did a lot of note taking and he'd have a diary and basically every day he'd fill his diary with you know bits on what he'd learned from the day what had come out of the sessions etc etc and we got talking about why he did that and how he did it and you know he'd, he'd make notes on everything and that was the way he he found reflection the way he learned and the way he were able to sort of build a catalogue of what he was doing as well um so everyone's got a different way on there everyone's got a different approach i took a little bit from him on that you know I've, I've started doing a little bit more of that myself now in terms of just making literally pen and paper notes um rather than being on a computer or i think there is something powerful in that but 
yeah, it has to be. It has to mean something for, for everybody, doesn't it? 100%. You know, um, you, you, know you mentioned there about coach development and, and you a couple of times referenced uh, your A licence. Um, talk to us about that because there's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this right now that maybe have that on their agenda as something they want to kind of go and do in the future, yeah. if not very soon. Um, what did the A licence really teach you? What, what was the biggest takeaways and what, you know, what your biggest motivations going into that? Because I think that's something really important for coaches to understand that in my experiences, the A licence isn't for everyone, not because they're not competent enough to do it, but actually they just don't need it for where they're, where they're at or what they're trying to do with their journeys. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, it, first of all, it, it's difficult to get on there depending on what setting you're working in. You know, it, it's not easy, easy course to access. You've got to be working in the right setting at the right time. And I agree with you. I don't think that we have to get caught up in in achieving a B licence or an A licence, you know, it's about the journey and about what you're learning, about what you're developing. But for me, the A licence was more around, um, you know, taking, I'd, I'd, I'd been 10 years, 12 years since I'd done my B licence. I'll be honest with you, I'd applied for it probably three occasions before and didn't get on it because of the level I was working at, because I was working the semi-pro game. I wasn't in the EPP. Um, that was that was frustrating. But I often see like coaches will go on Twitter and say, "Oh, I've not got on. It's a disgrace." Da, 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 da. But it's just a, it's just another barrier you've got to get over and push through and find a way of going. If you if you're that determined to get your A license or get your pro license, you'll find a way. Um, and you know, like I said, I had two, three failed attempts getting on it. I was fortunate that I got the role with the FA, which gave me that inroad into being able to get on it. That then gave me the access to to getting the job at Chef U. But from the from the A license itself, I think again just. Just being around people with different experiences that worked at different settings, different clubs. I think learner to learner learning was was probably one of the biggest things as well. You know, some of the coaches that I met on the course um, and some of the discussions we had over a over a beer and an evening, and you know, those those are some of the things that really enrich a course. Um, and then obviously the tutors that we got exposed to, and just challenging your own practice. You know, challenging what you do, why you do it. Um, you know, reflect on your own journey as well and how that shaped where you're at. But yeah, just just that again, just being in that environment, you're a product of your environment, aren't you? So being in an environment where you can learn off others is important, and that doesn't have to be done through a formal qualification. You can do that informally. Um, it's something we're looking at actually now as, as an organisation beyond the physical is is delivering one of the elite courses in terms of the bridge between the B and the A license. It's something that's on our agenda as well because we feel there's a there's definitely a group of coaches across the country that would benefit from a formal learning that that is aligned to an A license, but obviously isn't the UA for A, but gives them that next step in the careers um, to be have that exposure to some of these coaches. Definitely, I think it's something really important to highlight within that. It's also that there's going to be coaches out there that, you know, you talk you talked about earlier in terms of, the, you know, modern day, we've got all this technology, we've got all these different things. You can literally go into Google and find out anything you need to know. Yeah. Um, and with that, you've got the, 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 the thing I've put to coaches is, is it the, really the qualification you want or is it the knowledge and the experience that you can get from the content on the course? Because yeah. if it's just the content, you can go, you can still go and get that. You can still go and get that. Even and even if it is something that you want to go and get the qualification, you can still, like, as you've quite rightly just you mentioned there, but you can still access the bits which will prep you for the qualification, but allow you to get access to some of the content and knowledge now. Um, and I think it's just being proactive, right? Because, you know, if you don't get on a qualification, sometimes, you know, you've done everything you can and you've done everything right yeah. to get on the qualification, but there's just maybe not enough spaces. So it comes down to a flick of a coin potentially between myself and yourself. Right. And in other you know, cases, it's different. Thing say, yes, is if, if you are determined enough as a coach to progress and, and you want to get to a certain level, then you will find a way. It's like any walk of life. You'll find a way, whether that's yeah. going to a different federation, whether that's changing your role so that you can access the course, whatever it is. If you've got a, a moonshot vision if you've got a vision you want to achieve as a coach you want to get into the pro game you want whatever it is you want to achieve you'll find a way if you're driven enough and you've got enough determination you'll overcome these barriers because there's so many barriers in every walk of life and it's not just unique to football you just have to find a way and and that's you know i've still got loads of barriers that i've got to overcome and progress through and challenges and we all have haven't we and i you know i would class myself now as quite an experienced coach but there's so much stuff i haven't even touched the surface on yet and you know, you, you've just got to, it's that mentality in it, you've got to just push through and find a way. 100%. I think something really key there is that, I think a good, a good way to look at, I was discussing this with someone recently, it's just a temporary roadblock. 
Yeah. And you know, in, you know, with temporary traffic lights, they're, all, they're going to be gone eventually. 100%. So it's just how patient are you going to be for that? And I think it's just, like you said, if you've got that vision, and I've always said this, I think if you want it bad enough, because one of the biggest challenges people can think of things people complain about is how much sometimes coaching qualifications can cost. Yeah, and I say okay, yeah, fair enough. You can, you know, you can make that argument. But if this was a degree, you wouldn't you wouldn't question it the same way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, you, you're you're ready and willing to spend four or five thousand pounds or whatever it is a year on getting a degree or nine thousand pounds even uh, on getting a degree, but it's almost people want the guarantee of what comes after, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think you hit the nail on the head. If you're if you're driving your passion for what you want and you've got your vision is clear enough for for this is exactly what you want, then nothing's going to stand in your way. You will find a way. Yeah, yeah. Um. So now I think it's spot on. You know, I'm conscious of time, Paul, but you know, I'm just really kind of keen now just to kind of, you know, use that word earlier as well. Nuggets, nuggets of nuggets of wisdom, nuggets of information. What are you, what are some of the things that you maybe you've been coaching for what nearly 15, 20 years now? Yeah. I mean. Going back to start your journey, and if you were able to speak to Paul Quinn back then, who had a zest for coaching, <laughs> um, what would you, what would what would be one thing you'd want to say to him then, knowing what you know now? And there might be more than one thing. I think again, just um, surround yourself with as many people, many different people from as many different experiences as possible, and just soak everything in, um, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent in your in your eyes just soak it in and learn from as many different people as you can don't spend too much time in one setting um you know not i'm not saying jump around but particularly in the early formative years of your coaching have the opportunity to explore different things in different settings whether that's grassroots whether that's um, academy settings and you know just different age groups as well so again working across you know i've coached under sevens and i've coached men's team you know and I, i've learned as much from coaching under seven as i've done from the men's team and vice versa they, they, they complement each other um so yeah try and try and get as many experiences as you can and you know by i got asked this question a few weeks ago by a really young coach at west brom I was down there doing a cpd event and he asked me about you know what he should do he was 16 17 he was on an apprenticeship what should i do and i said to him just get out and coach get out and coach as much as you possibly can learn your trade you know um, there's nothing like being on the grass with the players and Try and surround yourself with somebody that's got good experience as well that can help you and guide you. But get out and do it, and, and you know, practice and try things and, and and give it a go. And we've all got different styles, we've all got different ways of going about it. And um, yeah, that that'll be the big thing for me for a young coach is just sort of you know, em, em, enrich yourself in terms of all those different experiences. And I think just to kind of tail on to what you said that you know you said about surrounding yourself with people, I think it's really important that. I think what, if I just think about my own experiences, that's something that's really impacted and influenced me is having people that are potentially, if you like, on the next stage of the journey that you're yeah. trying to get onto. Yeah. Also have the people on the other end, people that yeah. come, you know, the people are where you've just come from. Because then, you know, what you can kind of well, learn from those that are ahead of you, you, know, you can you can probably pass back as one. There'll be a lot of learning and processing through that through that as well. But something else that you just touched on really there as well about being around experienced coaches. As a young coach, how do you how do you know whether it's good or bad experience that you're getting around? Yeah, great question. Um, I think it's a tough one. I think you, it's like anything you you pick up. You're again, I've said it a few times. You're a product of your environment, aren't you? So the people around you shape you, um, and that's probably why you have to expose yourself to different things. If you expose yourself to one environment and one coach and one mentor, then you're only getting that richness and knowledge off that one person. Whereas actually, that might not be a fit for you. It might not be something you agree with. It might not align with philosophy. It might not be good, ultimately. Um, so the more you you learn from a, a, a range of different people, you know, a range of diverse backgrounds, um, you know, diverse sort of journeys as well. I think that's when then you start forming your own bits. And you know, I think one of best bits of advice I got her is you can never you can never reproduce somebody else you can never be somebody else you can never try and be somebody else you can only be yourself and add bits on from what you've seen so if I come and watch you coach Yasser you know I've got me as Paul Quinn and I'll add a bit of you into what I do but I'll always remain fundamentally me and vice versa if that makes sense you can't become you know a Mourinho or a Pep or a 
you know, it's just yeah. got to be true to what you are. And I think authenticity is the biggest thing. You know, you've got to be authentic with yourself. You've got to be authentic with the players. And then all you're doing then is just learn on top of that <clears throat> from your own experiences, your own development, um, you know, your own learning and, and, and just growing, just constantly growing. 100%, I think it's spot on. I think it's a, it's a great place to end on in that it, you can only be yourself. I think authentic authenticity is the key. And I think, like you said, take away bits from different people. You know, they always say, like, I think you touched on it earlier, the best coaches are the best thieves. Um, but you, you, can't, you can't take everything. No. It's got to be something, that you, it's got to be, a, it's almost got to be a, a foundation which you're adding these things to. So what is that foundation? And, you know, just, I guess, I think the question for coaches to start thinking about is who, who are you as a coach and what makes you you? What yeah, makes you think. unique as a coach? So I think that, that bit is really key. Paul, yeah. um, Really insightful. Really enjoyed enjoyed the conversation. Hope you have as well. I mean, what's next for you? We'll see. We'll see. I'm, I mean, as I said to you, start of the call. Like I've been out now for four months, about, and yeah, I've really enjoyed the summer. I think one thing that again reflecting on the summer is coaching's tough. It takes a lot out of you. It's emotionally draining. It's it's a drain on your time and your resource. Um, you know, I've got three kids. I've been able to spend more time with them over the summer, spend more time with my wife, um, come away from the game a little bit, which I think helped me. Um, just take a step back and, you know, re- reflect on things. We've talked about that quite a lot. So it's been nice. I've really enjoyed the summer, but the itch is starting to come and you know I'm starting now to think right what is next you know I do want to get in I, I am missing being on the grass and blowing the whistle and getting my boots on because um, it's it's just like I said you know what it's like mate it's it's ingrained in you isn't it and um, you know I've started to get that itch slowly rising up from my body and yeah I'm I'm openly looking now to see what comes up but it's got to be the right thing again from everything we said this morning it's got to be something that's going to me, I feel like I can add value to the the organisation I'm going to go into, but vice versa, that I feel I'm going to be able to take something from the process as well. And that's as important. You know, you've got to put yourself first sometimes as a coach and think, right, well, am I actually developing from this? Yeah, I'm giving a lot to the players. I'm giving a lot to the organisation, but you've also got to be growing as well. So, yeah, we'll see what comes up, mate. That's the excitement of the game, innit? You never know what's around the corner. 100%, 100%. Paul, well, I wish you all the best with that. You know, please continue to enjoy the weekends while you've got them because yeah. um, you'll soon regret what, everything that you just said. <laughs> but but, I, but I'm, with, I'm with you and I'm, and I'm here for it, man. So, but no, but again, massive thank you for your, for your time this morning, Paul. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, yes. Sir. Thanks a lot, mate. Enjoyed it. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.